Rocky Top Sunrise is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. Today on Rocky Top Sunrise, Holly and Isabella sit down and discuss all things related to the Tennessee Valley Authority. On this episode, they are joined by two well-known advocates in the fight for climate justice in Tennessee, Bree Nisley and Jason Carney. Welcome back to Rocky Top Sunrise. We're really glad you're joining us this week. Uh, my name is Isabella. I'm with Sunrise Knoxville. Uh, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm currently on Cherokee land in East Tennessee. And my name is Holly. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm calling in from Cherokee and Shawnee land in Nashville, Tennessee. Before we get started with our awesome episode today, we want to recognize that until there is justice for Indigenous peoples, not just in America, but throughout the world, there can't be justice of other kinds because even when we're fighting for racial or economic climate justice, we're still fighting that on stolen land. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the Tennessee Valley Authority. Uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority is the largest public power provider in the nation and is actually a federally owned corporation in the United States um, that was created out of the New Deal in 1933. The TVA provides energy to several states in the South, um, Tennessee, Virginia, parts of Kentucky, Alabama, um, and several others. And we're gonna talk about um, kind of how the TVA has operated and how it could operate um, and kind of put it in the context of the Green New Deal. What's really weird about the TVA is that it's run like a business most power companies um, like Ameren, where I'm from in Missouri, um, are successful because it's really expensive to buy all of this equipment um, to have power lines and construct this electricity grid. But when you have one giant company doing it, then the cost is actually spread out over the entire region and then it's a lot cheaper. But what's different about the TVA is that it's run by the government. So even though it is considered a corporation. Everyone on the board and the president of the TVA are all federal appointees, meaning they're not democratically elected to their position. And they're also not necessarily chosen just based on their merit, like hiring practices in a normal business would have it. Something that we're really gonna dig into today is energy as a human right and uh, TVA as an environmental justice issue. Um, energy goes beyond technological solutions. It, it reaches all aspects of our lives. It's something humans depend on in their daily lives. So we're gonna talk about kind of the intersections between environmental justice, the TVA and renewable energy. Um, so we're really excited to have uh, Bree from Appalachian Voices and an amazing individual um, named Jason from um, Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, Tennessee Solar Energy Association, and Energy Electives. And uh, we're going to just kind of pick their brains today to talk to them about TVA and, and really get into um, environmental justice issues with the TVA. Thank you all so much for listening in and stay tuned. Hey y'all, my name's Bree Nisley and I'm the campaign coordinator for Appalachian Voices based out of Knoxville, Tennessee. And I'm also a co-convener of a movement called the Tennessee Valley Energy Democracy Movement. Right. And I'm Jason Carney. I'm a, own a small business called Energy Electives that uh, we work with in weatherization or energy efficiency in solar. Uh, and also I'm president of the Tennessee Solar Energy Association. I'm based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and just uh, 
happy to work with uh, good folks like Bree and yourselves uh, in energy democracy. I definitely believe in energy, energy democracy. Well, thank you both for taking time to, to talk with us today. Um, I think a lot of our listeners obviously have heard of TBA, know what it is, um, could maybe tell you this and that about it, but not really a lot. And I think there's a lot that needs to be heard by the public, especially by people who don't have a very close connection with it, because it has a close connection with way more, way more um, communities and people than a lot of people actually think. So the first question is pretty like, I don't know, pretty broad, but we kind of just wanted to see if both of you could give like an overview of the TVA and kind of talk about what you see as important in just a few minutes, like maybe the history, how it's structured very briefly, because we just want to give listeners, I guess, context on, on like what TVA really is. So yeah, Bree, you want to go first? That's a good question. And I think it's important too, because I think folks who are outside of this region that look, that know anything about the TVA really think of it as, you know, as it was in the New Deal days when TVA first started in the 1930s. Like TVA was a New Deal project. It is a federal corporation that brought energy to the Tennessee Valley in a time when a lot of us didn't have it. Um, Tennessee also provided, or TVA also provided uh, flood control and important um, environmental programs for the Tennessee Valley back in the 1930s uh, when it started. Um, as I said, TVA is a federal corporation. Um, it provides electricity for 154, soon to be 153 local power companies here in the Tennessee Valley. What's kind of unique about our electricity here in the Valley is that it's all publicly owned. Um, you know, TVA is technically public and then the local power companies here that distribute our electricity are either municipal utilities or electric cooperatives. Um, I think another important thing about TVA is it has a very unique relationship with workers and with unions. TVA employs about 10,000 people here in the region and, and many of those are union jobs. Um, and the contracts that TVA has with, with union workers is different than um, you know, contracts that are happening at other utilities or public or private corporations, it's, it's pretty unique. TVA doesn't follow other federal laws. Um, but you know, what's different about TVA today than the way that TVA sort of operated back in its history when it started this New Deal project and, you know, just dramatically improved quality of life here in the Valley is that TVA has really gotten away from its mission and, um, you know, doesn't necessarily work directly with communities or workers or the people impacted by the decisions that TVA makes. And I don't know, maybe Jason can speak more to this, but I think, you know, 10, 15, 15 years ago, maybe TVA was kind of coming to the forefront as a clean energy leader in our region, but has really fallen away from that. And um, maybe we can talk a little bit more later about TVA's clean energy programs and kind of where its generation mix is sitting today, but I'll leave it at that. And I think that's, um, you know, the majority of, I think, of, of what we can talk about as far as the history of TVA. As far as the, the structure, um, just to give a, kind of an idea of what we're up against, it's, it's a federal agency. Um, so it, it, we who are in the renewable energy industry, and I think in the electric industry period in this area, we always say it's difficult because it acts private when it needs to, and then it acts public when it needs to. Um, so the, the, the deal is that it, it did come out of the New Deal. I didn't, that was, the plan was not intended. It did come out of the New Deal. Um, and FDR and, and his administration, such so that it would be successful, uh, created a fence uh, wherein no one else could sell electricity. Uh, so that was, you know, intended so they wouldn't have competition and they could do the very long uh, and hard job of electrifying the entire Tennessee Valley. So uh, that was very uh, important for them to do then, and it, it guaranteed the uh, the health and, and sustainability of, of TVA. Um, but as Bree was saying, you know, all these years later, uh, that very innovative um, thought, you know, to electrify the Valley, to do flood control and provide jobs for many poor uh, people that lived in the Valley, uh, that very innovative thought has, has gotten kind of clunky uh, now that 
we're trying to do something, you know, as I say, you know, 1893 Tesla and uh, Edison are, are fighting over how to, how we're going to distribute electricity, whether it's AC or DC, you know, 40 years later, you know, we're doing it on a federal scale with the TVA uh, in 1933. And so they took a very new technology to help do good for the environment and to give jobs to poor people. So guess what? 80 years later, we have that same opportunity to use solar and use other renewable energies to uh, give people jobs and to do good things for the environment. But they're kind of so old and clunky and stuck in their ways that they've, um, they, they don't want to do that. And so, you know, it's, it's just a daunting task. We don't have a other places, you know, if other people hear this around the country and are familiar with their electric industry, they would say, you know, I've heard people even ask me, you know, what about the Public Utility Commission? Can't you lobby them? We don't have one. <laughs> uh, TVA is judge and jury. So um, it's, it's, they get to dictate. And, and to Bree's point about 15 years ago, um, or a little bit more, um, yes, they, what I always say, um, did a very good PR uh, uh, stunt. I don't know if stunt's harsh, but it uh, did a good thing with it for their public relations to show that they cared about renewable energy by putting a, a really nice hefty premium on any solar or any renewable energy that was pushed back onto the grid. So if uh, you pay 10 cents for your electricity from them, for your kilowatt hour from them, and then you had solar and pushed some a kilowatt back hour to them, they would give you 25 cents. So uh, the, I heard from president of kind of the, or the former president of basically the only solar company in town here in Nashville that back when he started his solar company, they laughed and said, sure, you know, Solar was so expensive, it wasn't gonna, the adoption rates were, were gonna be very low. So yeah, okay, we'll help you. We'll do all these these nice premiums, but as the price of solar started to fall, the adoption rates uh, started to increase. Uh, they started to slowly start taking away those incentives all the way till now we don't even have a program at all. So now, if you push a kilowatt back onto the electric grid, uh, you don't get anything for it. So they'll sell it to your neighbor <laughs> and, and they'll take that that profit. Um, there is a, a, a PURPA law, P-U-R-P-A law that says you got to give them something. So that's the, the rub, but how much they give is is the issue. So, you know, I'm passionate about solar and, and, and that. So I, uh, you know, dig deep into those things. But yeah, TVA is the elephant in the room. They're the wizard behind the, the curtain. And if you're gonna do renewables at the residential level, then as I do, then, um, and that's what, you know, for me, democracy basically equals to at, at the very residential level. If you're gonna do it there, then you gotta deal with them. You gotta deal with the utility. Um, and to try to distill it, I'd have to run and go grab that book and look at my highlighter and all the things that I highlighted. But I guess for me, it is just democratized. It is, um, giving everyone having access to this this resource uh, and in that particular book um, it says with a strong preference uh, toward people of color uh, who are at the front lines and who are most vulnerable to environmental and the economic um, uh, issues that come from expensive solar and dirty power so um, yeah for me it's uh, the the ability to move from central power to distributed power or residential power. I guess I'll keep going back to that because I think that's a familiar word. Yeah, Jason, is that that orange book that's like edited by Denise Fairchild? That's exactly right. All right, that's the book. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you've characterized it well. Yeah, I mean, energy democracy is about energy transition, definitely about moving to cleaner sources that, um, do less harm to communities. You know, it's about energy justice in that way, knowing that, you know, for centuries, black and brown and poor communities have been the most impacted by our energy system. It's where all of the resources for the energy system have been extracted. Those are places where, you know, the jobs that were created there have gone away and so the economies have tanked. There are also places where the waste from our energy sources have been stored, um, you know, coal ash and other waste. and. Yeah, so the communities most impacted 
need to be the ones who are in charge of making decisions. We need community control over these basic resources that everyone in our society needs. And I think it's important to kind of think about energy as a human right. You know, today, especially as we're seeing the impacts of climate change, I mean, there's places where the temperature gets up, you know, above 120 degrees sometimes during the day. And if you don't have electricity and air conditioning and you're out in that kind of weather, you will die. And so that's, I mean, that's the important part for me is just thinking about community members and especially the ones who have been most impacted need to be in control of making decisions about our energy. And the way that you get closer to that decision-making is bringing the actual generation of your energy closer to you. So like Jason's talking about, if you're producing your own energy, you have more control over that. And, you know, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here a little bit, but you know, the other reason that having more decentralized energy is important is for energy security and energy access and making sure that if there is a big natural disaster, we're all closer to our energy source, you know, and we have less risk of losing that when, you know, half of our state's on fire, like over in California with PG&E, where they were shutting off, you know, thousands of people, people's electricities and folks who are medically dependent were losing that. So at the heart, it's about control. It's also about justice, both for communities and for our environment. And then a, a quick follow-up to that. Um, so like part of the reason that we have these huge utility companies is it's expensive to buy the infrastructure like power lines and stuff like that to have this electricity grid. Um, what's gonna change if we had, as y'all were talking about, a more decentralized structure of distributing electricity? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I hope, do you mind if I go first, Jason? Okay, yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, and that's honestly kind of the heart of, of what's going on um, or part of what's going on with some of our local power companies here in the Valley that are talking about potentially finding a new power provider um, like MLGW, Memphis Light, Gas and Water. That's one of TVA's largest um, direct serve or distributor utilities. And there's a couple of other utilities like Volunteer Energy Co-op that are talking about leaving. One of the primary questions that, um, you know, is being asked in this fight to potentially leave TVA is, is for control over those transmission lines. Because right now TVA owns that control um, because of that sort of law that happened back when TVA first started that Jason was talking about. For me, you know, I think that public ownership is a really important question in all of this fight. Um, you know, decentralized energy is important, but I think the other question we should be asking is who, who should be owning our, our power? You know, certainly I think the people most impacted should be able to own their own generation. But when it comes to potentially, you know, breaking apart TVA and, and selling to private providers, I think there's some really serious implications of a move like that happening. And, you know, there's also some, you know, contradictions with the vision of TVA under a Green New Deal. I think one of the exciting pieces of that vision is that TVA has the infrastructure to make a massive, a massive transition at a very quick pace. Like TVA's done that before and could do that again. But for all of the reasons I mentioned before, you know, decentralized energy is also important. One of the things that TVA recently introduced uh, with its new long-term agreements with local power companies is a three to 5% generation allowance for all of the local power companies, which means finally all of our distributor utilities that serve us directly in our towns can produce solar electricity if they want, and that would be theirs. For me, I think a more decentralized grid would expand on that idea. Local power companies, owning more of the power, but also communities directly owning more of the power, having community solar projects and microgrids in specific neighborhoods where those communities directly own that and are in control. And then also just expanded distributed generation, more residential generation across the grid. That's kind of, um, you know, I think one way that this sort of transition to decentralized energy could take place in the Valley. And TVA could still play a big role in that because there are local power companies here who don't want to be, you know, producing most of their electricity or just don't have the infrastructure for that because they are so small. So TVA could still be doing some of that and also be playing an important role with operating the grid and making sure that we have the very reliable electricity that we're used to here in the Valley. But I'll pass it to Jason. I was muted, so hopefully you can hear me now. <laughs> um, 
if you don't mind, uh, Holly, restate the question just so I can get an idea of what you were asking. Yeah, um, you were both talking about how it would be better for us to move toward a more decentralized distribution of electricity. Can you talk about, from your perspective, what that would look like? What that looks like, what that looks like, I'll give you somewhat two answers. You know, what that looks like in a more, uh, in a less uh, aggressive way. You know, Bree just said TVA has the ability to be aggressive, and I agree with that. Um, the the ability to make them be that aggressive is is where I'm. I feel like is the real challenge. So, I think that at the very least, as she said, you know, that would look like giving the the distributors or the local power companies that want to do more the the opportunity to do more and to do that in a very progressive way such that they can plan you know their their uh how much power they generate and purchase and all those things that would for me be a, a big win just for them to shift their mindset because their mindset is we're going to completely stamp out distributed generation, uh, i.e. energy democracy. We're gonna completely keep all the control and we're going to still do business by opening up the building of large power plants to businesses that do uh, solar and, and things like that. So so this, this in Amazons and the Googles, you, you still can get your, your, your power but it's still it's going to be large installations, um, and I just I just think that's, you know, it's it's like being stuck just to be stuck. You know, you don't have to do it that way. Um, so, and when we see Green Mountain Power up in Vermont, they they have a, a great model where they're they're literally saying, um, we know this is coming, and we know people want it, so we're gonna just be an assistant to you know we'll charge for you know, coming out to service something or to give you a consultation around something, but we're not going to put any caps on on anything. I mean, because it makes no sense. Before four or five years ago, even when they did have the residential program, they put a cap on how many people could actually do it. So it's it, it, wild. So yeah, but the more ideal situation would be, yeah, just wide open. Hey, go to the Green Mountain Power uh, uh, model and you know, completely change your business model to wanting to be of service to help each individual and each local power company, each community do their best to be, you know, as sustainable and, and use as much renewable energy as they can. Because as Bree said, ultimately, it is better for us overall environmentally, I think socially with the local jobs that can be created, uh, and also nationally with the energy independence and and you know, not having, not being um, susceptible to attack of a central power plant, you know. So uh, I think in one sense, they can go about it in a, in a, which I think is a huge shift, would be a huge shift for them to just start to slowly open that up. And maybe that's coming, you know, Memphis is out there threatening. And um, I think Vold is, is a utility that starts with V that's already opted out of TVA volunteer, I think, electric. And so, you know, this is a tidal wave that you can only resist for so long. And uh, it would be great for them to um, just say, look, anybody and everybody that wants it, we're going to at very least do net metering, which means whatever we charge you for a kilowatt, we will pay that same kilowatt um, if you push it back onto the grid. You know, but right now it's, we're not going to give you anything. You're going to have to buy, you know, an expensive battery if you want it at the residential level uh, on top of the solar that you already stretched yourself to, to try to afford. So uh, they're openly hostile to um, distributed generation or, like I said, energy democracy. And I think ideally opening it up in that way would be what I would like to see. I'm learning so much about so much more about TVA than I already thought I knew just in these past like 20 minutes. Um, and I, I'm noticing sort of the language you are using, like giving power to the people, right? Communities leading these democratization efforts, especially communities that are affected the most. Decentralization of power really mirrors the language of the Green New Deal 
which is what Sunrise is quite largely as a movement oriented around. And the Green New Deal um, is sort of reflective in some ways of the New Deal from the 30s, which TVA came out of. So, you know, considering Sunrise's relationship with the New Deal, or the Green New Deal, excuse me, and just sort of, like Bree said earlier, this idea of a transition, I wanted to ask you both, and you've already touched on this quite a lot with energy democracy, but what your vision for a Green New TVA looks like, why you think that um, could be an important concept, you know, what the Green New Deal, um, your understanding of it, but also your just understanding of energy democracy could play out, you know, in TVA um, right now, and how we could kind of fight to achieve that. So, well, I, I'd say, you know, to throw some more things on what I was saying before, as far as what would be ideal, um, I'd like to see is all ideal or is is always like this can't happen but i'm throwing out ideal ideally i'd like to see tva say we're going to create a public utility commission or the next president say that and say this body will be independent and will help us to to manage um the uh policy in the ballot I'd like to see that um also would like to see um more uh, BIPOC people on the board. Um, I think, I wanna say there was one guy out of Memphis that I think he was African-American, but, but I'm not 100% sure. It wasn't uh, super dark or big features, you know, so I don't know, but I don't think if, if not him, if he's not there anymore, there are no African-Americans. I don't think there are any Asians or Native Americans on the board, so, um, I'd like to see that board uh, represent uh, Tennessee a lot better than it does right now. Um, and, and you know, of course, just, I'd, I'd, I'd like to also see a president that wants to serve the Valley and not compete with private organizations. So that would be what that looks like now, if for your listeners, is that the TVA, president is a federal employee um, and he is his salary is like 15 times of that of the president of the United States there's no way that he has more responsibility than the president of the United States but they, they use the thought that he's paid somewhat comparably to the other utilities but they're private so that's you know that's a bigger difference they they have competition they have to deal with they have to do those things uh, so um, I'd like to see the next president be one who says, you know, I don't want to make 15 times more than the president. So that would be a whole mind shift on how I think the whole thing is operated. Uh, and, and what, you know, looking at serving the people and not, you know, trying to compete with private utilities that they don't even compete in the same way. I mean, you know, they're not built the same way. Uh, they have they have a fence that they don't have any competition. So um, those are a couple more things along with things I just added about just making it open for everyone and them changing their whole business model to being more of a service provider. Yeah, thanks, Jason. That's um, right on the money. Yeah, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind here is that the New Deal wasn't, you know, the, pro the programs that came out of the New Deal weren't all that good for every community, right? Like one of the big things that came out of the New Deal was redlining, and that was super damaging to Black communities in urban areas. And in the same respect, like TVA did a lot of good early on, but they also, TVA did a lot of bad. I mean, TVA just bloused, displaced like 3,000 families, I think, from their homes in the Valley. Um, also, some of the early outcomes that came from that displacement was like a lot of black folks in East Tennessee, black families got pushed out of agriculture and into industry jobs. And so that whole, you know, way of life was lost for those families. And so I think the important thing to keep in mind when we're thinking about what TVA could be under a Green New Deal is that local communities that live here in the Valley need to be the ones who have a say over that and are making decisions about that. And that's something I want to just like shout for all the national pundits that are, are talking about TVA. You know, we've, we've had a lot of folks talking about TVA from outside the region, but are they talking to us about TVA and, and how we've experienced the, you know, the problematic things that have come out of TVA? You know, we haven't heard any of that. And so that's, you know, last year, 
Appalachian Voices and some other organizations that we partner with, like Science for the People and Statewide Organizing for Community Empowerment. We put together a listening project that Jason participated in, which was awesome, uh, to find out what communities here want for the energy future of TVA. How do they envision a TVA that's transitioned? And some of the things that came out of that were things that we've already talked about, like decentralized local generation and democratic control, um, energy transition. Other aspects of that were high quality energy jobs. So one thing that TVA could do under a Green New Deal is make sure that the, you know, the energy transition goes to union contractors and union workers, making sure that they set wage rates so that people who are working on installing solar um, and other renewable energy get paid well and have good training. We also talked about affordable bills and equitable access. And I think that ties in with what Jason was saying about changing the business model. Uh, you know, it's a lot of folks talked about energy as a human right, imagining if no one ever had their power shut off, like no one in our system ever had to see a shut off, like what would an, um, a rate structure and a bill structure look like to meet that vision? And so affordable bills and equitable access are, are something that could come out of a TVA model if TVA were to change their business model. And then healthy communities and environment, of course, as well. And I think in part, like the way that we could achieve healthy communities environment are some form of reparations to communities who have been impacted by, you know, TVA's bad behavior where TVA's had power plants and lots of pollution. We could think about investing in those communities and um, directing TVA resources there. But also, you know, I think if we were to dream big on this, we could imagine, you know, some kind of conservation core that worked out of TVA to, to help restore the environment that TVA could help operate. If, if we want to think grand and big, those are some ideas that kind of rise to the surface. Yeah, you both actually said things I was going to ask about. So you read my mind. I definitely want to pick your brains a little bit more. And first of all, Bree, I just wanted to thank you for recognizing, yeah, that the original New Deal I think in a lot of ways, even by people, you know, who are, who are organizing for the Green New Deal, the original New Deal is idolized in a lot of ways and its shortcomings aren't recognized and we need, we need far more improvement beyond what that accomplished. Um, I think one thing that a huge part of the language that the Green New Deal and the New Deal um, is what both of you are talking about is jobs and clean jobs. And you already sort of mentioned unions, Brie, um, and um, how good paying jobs could be achieved, but I, I would, could you talk a little bit about like what unions um, at TVA look like right now? So like, and how it, you know, good jobs, clean jobs potentially at TVA could be a model sort of for, for jobs in a, in a transitioning economy. Yeah, I can speak to that a bit. And first I'll say, you know, <laughs> it's complex, uh, like everything. Um, but you know, TVA does have a unique model for how they partner with unions. And it's something that we're still, um, at Voices and the other organizations that we're working with, uh, we're still learning a lot about this. But what we know is that TVA does employ a lot of union workforce and they actually have a threshold for certain projects that are above, we've heard different numbers, but somewhere around $150,000 in labor hours, um, projects of that size have to follow a certain wage rate, which makes them more competitive for union contractors that are bidding on those projects. And so, and TVA also has like specific like clauses in their agreements with unions that set wage rates and uh, training standards and um, things that normally would apply under specific federal regulations, uh, like the Davis-Bacon Act. There are specific TVA agreements that are unique to TVA and the unions that they partner with. But generally, TVA has about six unions um, that they have a 10-year labor agreement with. Um, that includes like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW, the laborers, the Teamsters, operating engineers. Um, there's a couple of other ones in there that I didn't get. Those are the ones that contract with TVA sort of annually. Um, and then there are a whole bunch of unions that contract with TVA on hourly or contract jobs. 
And TVA negotiates with these unions to, through the Tennessee Valley Trades and Labor Council, I think is what it's called. I may have missed a part of the acronym there, but they negotiate with those unions through this labor council that's specific to TVA. And all of the unions have an international rep. And when I say international, it just means sort of the highest level in the union um, sits in on this council and does the, the negotiating with TVA. And TVA really frames this as a partnership with their unions. Um, you know, they want to make sure unions, uh, union workers are getting paid well, that they're trained well, and that they're, they're getting good jobs. The thing is, this is pretty complicated. Uh, we know that not all workers who are union workers at TVA have been, treating, been treated well. And a good example of that are the, the Kingston workers, the cleanup workers who cleaned up the spill after the 2008 uh, Kingston disaster is one good example. And we know too that there are some issues with how uh, TVA contracts out some of their jobs that are above that threshold that I mentioned that we're learning more about now. And so, you know, we think that the relationship between TVA and unions could be even stronger than it is now. That I think is, is I'm just not as well versed on the whole union TVA thing as um, what I do in Bree can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that there is, there is some recent activity that was that was based around this whole union issue such that President Trump came in and just removed three TVA board members like immediately. So um, I am a, I'm aware of that. And but again, that shows you just the power of the president and, you know, not to go too far on a tangent, but, you know, the president has that power. And we're seeing today, you know, with this confirmation hearing that he, the president has that power all over again. So, you know, I guess in the vein of, of what Sunrise tries to do, your listeners should definitely understand that elections have consequences, big consequences, and we, we shouldn't take any of them off, you know, locally or, or statewide, but especially uh, at the federal level, we really do need to understand how, you know, that one person can help us change a lot um, in the Valley that can affect us, um, you know, all the way down to a union worker or, um, or a person like myself that just wants solo on my home, you know, being able to go in and do something about that board uh, and even the president, you know, it would, would do a lot for us, I think. Yeah, I think it's just so important to, to acknowledge how political of an issue energy is. I think in a lot of ways, it's portrayed as very technological and sort of like inaccessible in a lot of ways, but all of what we've talked about today is very political and social. So yeah, I really just appreciate y'all's kind of intersectional approach to, to explaining TBA. Kind of tying back to the idea of jobs, Jason, I did want to ask you kind of like your vision for um, like weatherization of homes, renewable energy on more individual scales and like what clean jobs in that sector looks like, because that will be a, a pretty huge part of the Green New Deal is, is this like mass mobilization of, of um, weatherizing homes and making them more sustainable. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I'm trying to be a model for that. So, you know, it kind of all ties into what you guys were saying. And I really appreciate, appreciate it brief for bringing up the whole idea of, um, and you as well, uh, Isabella, about how the New Deal had its issues, you know, um, the redlining being probably the most, uh, most severe of them all. Um, and, uh so and so i feel like the the green new deal as i have seen it has always been or they uh i always try to say the green new deal because Nash sometimes those in nashville that are in this industry try to kind of co-op that that term i think it probably happens in other places oh green new deal green new deal and they're only talking about the energy alone they're not talking about the, the social aspect of it and the inclusion of, of other communities. So if I'm in the room or, or anywhere, I always say, well, make sure when you understand, when you say Green New Deal, this is inclusionary. And, it's all, and it is also, as the Energy Democracy book says, putting the, these folks up front and in control and making decisions and having control. Um, so it, to me, it's not a true Green New Deal unless the communities that are being affected also have a seat at the table and are able to make uh, final calls and decisions. So I think all that said, 
I'm trying to to model that in the work that I do um, with uh, MJ electives uh, by prov you know providing you know jobs for uh, folks in my community to do the weatherization and do the solar. And so another thing that may be somewhat tangential, but as you said, you know we we think of this stuff as very um, technical and 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 not really policy, but it's it's largely policy. And so. People like Bree are very important who understand the policy and can work within it. Um, a kilowatt is a kilowatt no matter where you are on the earth. You know, you know, we make it like, oh, we're in, you know, we, there used to be this, you know, discussion about solar. We're in Tennessee and that's different than California. No, it's not. It's, it's still a kilowatt. <laughs> and so, you know, if they can do it, then we can do it. Um, we make them make it make kilowatts the same way with you know unfortunately fossil fuels, but only maybe. And we anyway, I, I won't go too far into that. I'm just thinking about Hawaii and how you have to transport things out there, and that's why it should be a lot more expensive. But otherwise, in the contiguous states, it should kind of be all similar. But anyway, yes, I'm trying to create a model where folks can can work um, in this green economy. Um, to that end. Um, I started a, a educational program over at White's Creek High School here in, in Nashville or in White's Creek, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville, where we're teaching the students how to install solar, how to design, uh, how to install, and, and how to do all the things in the middle of the project management. And we're working on something right now to extend what we already did. We did a ribbon cutting on that installation uh, in April of 2019, and yeah, 2019. COVID's got me messed up. Um, and now we're working on a, a, a follow-up to that. We're gonna do it on someone's house so that we can do that in a very more close, real sense. And people can um, be educated and, and learn more and ask more questions. Because I think that's where we have to start is education, getting folks um, to understand. It's so much education that has to go on to understand that you don't have to accept the $300 and $400 electric bill. That's that's not like just part of the landscape. That's actually something you have control over. So, you know, to come in and do air sealing around the house or put insulation in the, in the attic and to do all these things, you know, is something that, you know, probably 70% of it you can do yourself. You know, no one likes to go in their attic or their basement. So that's why they call us. <laughs> but um, you know, those things can really drop your bill a lot. And then solar can um, can come and, you know, essentially take care of the rest. So, yeah, I just, ideally, I want to see a lot more of that to proliferate um, and, and have my company be a model. And hopefully that creates other people that say that's possible. So let's do that. It's local jobs. You can't export them. Um, and if we do right by the people and pay them fair wages, I think uh, people will start to demand it. Yeah, I really appreciate you mentioned education in general as just sort of a model of, of how we can transition to a better, more just place in America. And I think so many people um, have knowledge, they just don't really know exactly what to do. And I think learning by doing and, and educating people is like just such a personable way of, of communicating these issues. So that's a really amazing, that's really cool you have that program and I, I'd love to talk to you about that sometime. We are nearing towards the end of the podcast. Um, I wanted to ask both of you sort of because TVA is just so tied up in various environmental and just like countless environmental injustice issues. It's hard to just talk about this in a single podcast episode, but I did want to ask you about the Kingston coal ash spill. Of, I think it was 2008. Maybe give like a recap of what happened briefly and, and the repercussions and, and how many people are still suffering from that still today. That's, this is super in line with Jason, what you were just talking about, how um, it's hard to see in the individual moments how um, like the TVA might be affecting our lives. And I think at the same time, like the Kingston coal ash is still haunting so much of the state. So yeah, could you give some perspective on on why that was a problem that we could have prevented and what uh, the TVA could be doing in the future? 
Uh, yeah, so the Kingston coal ash spill happened a couple days before Christmas in 2008. Uh, basically what happened was there was a wet coal ash impoundment um, at the Kingston plant um, that a dike broke, an earthen dike broke on and 1 billion gallons of coal ash spilled out into the Clinch and Emory rivers in Tennessee. And it was terrible. It literally knocked houses off of their foundation and like the river looked gray. There's a lot of photos from from when that happened and, you know, quick Google search would pull them up. But, you know, the after and at that time, there were no federal regulations uh, around coal ash, right? The um, the CCR rule, the coal combustion residual rule that happened federally in two, 2015 was basically because of the Kingston coal ash spill. So when that happened, um, a bunch of, of workers got put to work cleaning up the spill. I, there were people that came from all over the country. I mean, lots of local folks, but there were folks from all over the country who came to clean up that spill. And it was a good paying job. They got paid like 25 bucks an hour plus, you know, some benefits. And, you know, it was, it was thought of as a good paying job, which is why people came here to work on that. And TVA contracted a company called Jacobs Engineering to help clean up, a, clean up the site, which was uh, a company based out of Texas. And they hired a lot of folks um, to come work on the cleanup. And these are union jobs, I'll, I'll emphasize. But what was really awful about this cleanup is that TVA was well aware that there were harmful you know, components of coal ash that the workers were cleaning up. Um, they had done testing, they knew coal ash was, you know, full of all of these heavy metals and other toxins that are just terrible for your health. In spite of this, um, the company that was contracting with TVA, Jacobs Engineering, um, many of the workers claimed that they were not only not given protective equipment to clean up the coal ash, they were told they were not allowed to wear it. And some even say that safety officers were destroying respirators and not allowing the cleanup workers to wear those when they were cleaning up this super toxic coal ash. They were told it was okay to eat lunch on top of it. And, you know, there's stories from, you know, wives and family members who talk about, you know, their husbands coming home and having, you know, they could smell the coal ash on them, you know, covered in it. And now I think there were about 900 workers that worked on the spill and this went on for years, right? They've been working on this spill for years. Um, since the spill happened in 2008. I think 51, maybe 54 now workers have died and 300 to 400 more are sick um, with just terrible, terrible ailments, uh, you know, lung diseases like COPD, skin lesions, cancers, um, you know, a lot of that going on. And you know, TVA, Jacobs, and TDEC, there were safety officers from all three of those groups, and TDEC is the, the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conser Conservation, um, safety officers from all three of those groups who were approving the safety manuals and procedures that were being used by the supervisors there at the site. Um, so they knew this was all happening. And, you know, there, since then, there's been a lawsuit. Um, the workers have are you know suing Jacobs and right now are trying to reach a settlement over that. They've asked TVA for support with their health care, you know, their their medical costs because they have a lot and TVA has refused to support that. Um, and really who's been leading that fight? There's a lot of organizations that have been working around the Kingston Coal Ash spill, but really who's been leading that fight have been the families. And there's three wives in particular that we've worked with pretty frequently. Um, Julie Bledsoe, who's married to Ron Bledsoe, Janie Clark, who's married to Ansel Clark, and Miss Betty Johnson, who's married to Tommy Johnson. Those three wives have been going um, all over the country, you know, fighting for, to make sure that this never happens to another community again. And also, you know, to try to win more, yeah, to win more protections for coal ash cleanup workers. And what's really awful about this story is all of that ash that spilled out here in East Tennessee the workers were cleaning that up, cleaning it up, putting it into trucks and taking it to Uniontown, Alabama, which is a, uh, you know, 90% black low income community. That's a, you know, a community that has a lot of different kinds of industrial waste um, that are suffering from all kinds of other physical issues, you know, just diseases and illness. And so it's really just a tragic story where I think, um, you know, TVA, 
failed our community in a lot of ways. So TPA failed our community um, in the the dike breaking and the ash spilling out into the river and doing all of the damage it did. And there was all kinds of environmental impacts from that, but also, you know, how the workers were treated, I think was a big failure as well. And so, yeah, that's basically what happened. Yeah, I'll just add that I'm beyond hurt about that. I mean, um, I'm, I'm over here fighting the renewable energy solar fight. So not as well versed, but even if you're anywhere near the TVA, you know about that story, but I'm really glad that Bree broke it down in, in such great detail. Um, but yeah, to, I guess your point, Ale, you know, it, it might sound, you know, too simple and self-serving in, in some respects for me, but, you know, renewable energy is, is the way that we get away from this stuff, you know, we, and, and, you know, first of all, taking, first of all, taking away demand. Um, so doing it, being as efficient as possible, you know, and then, you know, doing more wind and solar and geothermal and all those things that it, that can take away demand from uh, these, uh, you know, heavy, heavy fossil fuel places. Now, I know TVA closed Bull Run and they're looking to close other um, coal plants. That's great. Um, but we, you know, that needs to be more aggressive because we're on, we're, you know, it's a ticking time bomb. I mean, when's the next one? going to happen and hopefully they've learned from this but as Bree said that's that's beyond that's neglect you know it's it's beyond you know anybody you already allowed it to spill and then you know that it's that it's harmful and you don't take better precaution than that that doesn't doesn't make any sense if you care anything about the people that you serve you don't allow that so um and then, you know, doing, you know, kind of, and, and one last thing I wanted to say, I could say a million more, but I wanted to make sure I say that we talked about TDEC being one of the uh, players in our, uh, in the state, you know, um, they kind of do the same dance with TVA. They, they take hands off and say, oh, we can't do anything about it. That's a federal agency. You know, we're just a state agency. And then when they want to go and do something, then they go and do it and they're the state agency. So um, I think that TDEC uh, should also um, be pressured or, or, or be lobbied more to do more and care more about um, Tennesseans and, and even specifically the energy office that I used to work in. Um, this, this is an office that has, you know, it's in a position where it can do a lot more um, with renewable energy and, and uh, it seems to just placehold as an energy office, <laughs> as a, one of the energy offices of the, of the country. Uh, and I think more can be done um, to assist TVA with a transition to renewable energy, which uh, could cut down on or eliminate these accidents. I mean, we just brought up, you know, I think what Watts Bar 2, and that's considered quote unquote clean energy, but it has waste too, just like coal. And we don't, we don't have any, there's no way to get rid of that. So, you know, there's, and countless scientists tell you that there is enough ability to do all of our energy needs with renewables. So, you know, we just, we just gotta figure out how to do, how to get the right people in there to make the right decisions and, and, and put the right policies in place. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so, I think it's so easy to get caught up in obviously these terrible existential threats that really are, are not accidents, but events that were caused by the mismanagement of not just the TVA, but of our federal government. And um, at least something that I think about all the time is how specifically like the oppression of racial minorities isn't an accident it's on purpose and um it's it's all it's all part of this strategic plan um but i think also at the same time there are so many exciting things um happening we've got the movement for energy democracy the movement for energy independence and decentralization we have marquita bradshaw running on a platform of open environmental justice for the Senate seat in Tennessee. Um, and while there are so many terrible and 
awful things happening, I think there are also some really amazing sources of hope. Um, what, what gives you hope while you're fighting? Um, I keep getting phone calls, you know, for, for people that want solar, you know? So it's, it's just kind of, and, 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 you know, people who just want to know more. And that, that gives me a great sense of hope that this isn't, um, it's a, it's a match lit, right? It, it's, it's, it's already alive and, and it's going to continue to progress. And, um, you know, when I do the work, um, and I see the, uh, the effect, you know, I'm, I could, I probably will move more commercial because we have to do this thing in a macro sense. We have to, we have to move lots of, of energy. So, you know, that's, that's a very real thing. Um, but I get a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement from the residential jobs that I do when someone, you know, had a $300 bill and now it's $125 and they're just like, whoa, you know, that's a lot of money that <laughs> I am now going to be able to use for this, that, and, and, and the third. And, you know, having people come out and say, wow, you know, you know, what is this? And then I get to, you know, get kind of geeky on what components of the solar array I just installed, you know, and walk them from the inverter to, you know, to the racking and the panels and show them a monitoring, the monitoring system that they now have in their hand and, and they can see their kilowatts as they're being made. So I have a lot of uh, different things that continue to um, give me hope. We, and I, I'll close by saying, you know, there are people, Marquita Bradshaw, as you said, breathe nicely. Um, the, the Sunrise Movement, um, uh, I'm a part of Tipple uh, and uh, the uh, climate, uh, what is it? Climate. Tennessee science. Interfaith Power and Light. In, yes, Nashville Climate something. Yeah, that one. I mean, there are just, you know, there's so many things that says you're not alone out here. You know, there's others fighting a good fight and um, you just got to, you know, keep going and, and you'll find encouragement and hope as you get a little weary and tired of all the things that TVA are doing and, and, and the, how stagnant it can get. And then you have an interview like this and you get to connect again with, you know, someone like Bree that, you know, breathes life again. You're like, okay, great. We gotta keep pushing, we gotta keep pushing. So I'll say that and, and say thanks for, for having me. All right, I gotta throw so much love back at Jason cause you've been given so much. But yeah, I mean, I was gonna say the same thing basically. It's like you know, folks like Jason. And I feel like I was at a conference like a week ago and there was uh, an energy efficiency contractor there at the, co at the conference. His name was Costco. And he said something like, you know, how long does it take to get a, right to get a white paper written or get a policy passed? You know, like that takes time. And while you're doing that, people's energy bills are still going up. You know, there's work to be done right here and now that makes a huge impact. That gives me a lot of hope to keep going. And it's, it's the work that Jason does. And also, you know, the, the community members that I work with, you know, we've, we work with folks uh, near the Bull Run site where, where that fossil plant is closing and they're dealing with the question of what happens to the coal ash that's there right now. Um, you know, working with the folks who cleaned up the Kingston spill and their wives and their families, you know, um, just working with other folks who are in the energy democracy movement here who want to see a better future for the Tennessee Valley who want to see us have more control like that kind of stuff yeah it, it's the people in the fight that give you hope for sure and you know I think from a policy perspective there's definitely a lot of big things we can do but I also really believe there's a lot of stuff that we could be doing on the ground and are doing right now that make a huge difference so that definitely keeps the fire well I just wanted to say that both of you all give me hope um in this moment Bree I've known you for a good bit now and you've just taught me a lot <laughs> just by the work you do and the passion you bring to the table and and Jason I haven't met you before but just by hearing you speak I've learned so much and yeah I just really appreciate you coming to talk to us about all that you do with your communities um, so that about closes out our episode we'll put in the show notes show notes some of the stuff we talked about today so listeners can can do some more research and learn more about TVA but thank you both again for for taking some of your really precious time to talk to us
You've been listening to Rocky Top Sunrise. We're a part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network, a family of podcasts talking about progressive issues in the South and in Tennessee. You can find us um, at tnholler.com, and you can also follow the holler at the TN Holler on all of our social media platforms. You can also find Sunrise Tennessee on social media. We are at Sunrise MVMTTN. And this is Rocky Top Sunrise brought to you by Sunrise Movement Tennessee every other Friday. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.